I think when a lot of people think about Medicaid, it seems like this really wonky issue and people might not be familiar with what exactly means and who's covered by it. But this is an issue that stands to impact 15 million people, including 6 million children. So even though it's this uh, conversation right now that has been relegated to this wonky policy space, it stands to have a lot of really important real world consequences on the everyday lives of Americans. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Annie Reese. Today, America's next big health crisis. Yeah, there's a lot of folks, right, that have struggled throughout this pandemic. I mean, we've seen immense job loss and job shift, you know, and because in the U.S. so much of our health care is tied to employment, we've seen, you know, a lot of folks rely on Medicaid during the public health emergency. Reporter Megan Messerly. And I'm a healthcare reporter covering state policy for Politico. On how the Medicaid expansion that's happened during the pandemic might end soon, potentially ending insurance for millions of people. And you wrote a story recently about uh, how when the pandemic ends, 15 million people could lose their Medicaid coverage. Why? So if people remember way back in March 2020, Congress actually made a change to Medicaid, um, essentially in exchange for receiving additional money during the pandemic. Congress required states to keep everyone on their Medicaid rolls. That means they can't kick anyone off. So for folks who are familiar with the Medicaid process, what usually happens is, you know, every so often you're redetermined to see if you're still eligible for Medicaid. And there's this kind of churn that a lot of folks talk about where people, you know, come on and off of Medicaid rolls because of income or because they don't fill out their paperwork or or other reasons. So essentially, Congress Mm -hmm. said no more of that. Everyone who is on Medicaid rolls has to stay there until the end of the public health emergency. The public health emergency, as as many folks know, keeps being extended in these 90-day increments, was recently extended another 90 days Mm. to April 15th. And so as a result, people have just stayed on Medicaid through the the duration of the pandemic, actually causing Medicaid rolls to swell uh, to the highest point they've ever been at. So how many people were on Medicaid before the start of the pandemic and how many are now? The latest data from CMS shows that enrollment surged nearly 20% um, over the first 16 months of the pandemic to about uh, 77 million people. So a pretty significant increase, um, sort of comparable, though hard to sort of square the numbers, but somewhat comparable to the, the big increases we saw as a result of Medicaid expansion. Does this mean, are there more people who have health insurance in the United States now than there have ever been? That's a good question. Yeah. So uh, I was looking at um, the Oregon Health Authority actually put out something yesterday on this saying that they're at record high enrollment and they specifically attributed their record high uh, number of people who are covered by health insurance to the fact that, you know, essentially enrollment in Medicaid has been frozen. Again, like I mentioned, there's this typical churn of folks on and off and sometimes people just fall through the cracks just because they don't fill out the right paperwork. And so a lot of Medicaid advocates are saying, you know, this has actually been a great thing for a lot of the folks who might normally fall through the cracks simply because, you know, they're not um, they're not aware of the redetermination process and they're sort of not getting the information into their state Medicaid program that they need. And so we have seen this tremendous expansion. Of course, the concern is what happens when the public health emergency ends, right? And all these states have to start these redetermination processes again. Can you give me a sense of the stakes here? Yeah. So, and and I think this is the biggest thing on everyone's mind, right? We're just talking about, you know, potentially 15 million people, including 6 million children, according to one analysis by the Urban Institute, could potentially lose their Medicaid coverage 
as a result of this transition. Now, the issue here is making sure that that, that doesn't happen. I think that's what the federal government and states are are focused on for the, for the most part. Um, you know, this is an election year. You know, I don't think the the Biden administration wants to see the the uninsured rates skyrocket. Mm-hmm. A lot of states are concerned about that as well. Um, it is worth mentioning, though, in a lot of states, there might be political pressure or financial pressure to complete these redeterminations as quickly as possible. So especially in some conservative states, you know, it's not as popular to have as many people on, on your state Medicaid rolls. And so there's going to be an urgency to clear their Medicaid rolls quickly and remove these people who are no longer eligible for Medicaid. Obviously, I don't think anyone's in disagreement that people who aren't eligible for Medicaid, you know, will eventually need to be removed. But the question is, how fast do you complete the process? And what Medicaid advocates have told me is that the faster you go through that process to remove these ineligible people from the rolls, the more likely you are to actually lose people who are eligible for coverage. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see some of the, these political dynamics come out as well. And just the financial pressure, it's it's a cost to states to keep all these people on their rolls. Mm-hmm. And so there is going to be pressure for states to move quickly. And so it's this balance between you know being efficient and having states do the work they need to, but not actually losing people who should still be covered under Medicaid. I feel like this deadline here of removing people who no longer qualify when the pandemic ends is this like very amorphous deadline that keeps shifting. So now that the social safety net has expanded, how easy is it going to be to unwind that? This is the thing that a lot of state officials are really worried about right now. Um, it's a really difficult process. You're completing redeterminations for millions of individuals. Now, the Biden mm-hmm. administration has given states 12 months to complete this process, but it's still a ton of work. I mean, and these are people who, you know, for two years haven't been required to fill out this paperwork. And so even for folks who've been on Medicaid for some time, they may just be out of the practice of, you know, keeping an eye out from for these notices from their state Medicaid program. So obviously the big concern here is that as states, um, you know, start to begin this process, which again, sort of the timing is is a little unclear and we can get into that a little bit more. But the, the big problem here is that it's just a massive amount of work. And the concern is that if you don't make contact with all of these people, you could either one, have people who are still eligible for Medicaid who end up not re-enrolling because they're not aware this is happening. They miss the paperwork. They don't get it in in time and they might lose coverage that way. At the same time, you have people who probably aren't going to be eligible for Medicaid anymore, possibly because of their income level. But state health officials really want to transition to those folks to their state health insurance exchanges. A lot of people whose income makes them ineligible for Medicaid will actually still be available for $0 premiums uh, on their state's health insurance exchange. And so the goal is, now that you have all these people, you've found them, you don't want them to slip through their cracks. You want to make sure that they're connected with the form of health insurance that's right for them, whether that's Medicaid, whether that's an exchange plan, or whether you do determine that they do have some employer-sponsored coverage and they're covered that way. I was interested in this in your story. The director of the Center for Medicaid and CHIP Services described the level of engagement across HHS, Health and Human Services, and CMS on this issue as unprecedented, meaning what? Yeah, so this is something that, you know, the Biden administration is really concerned about. And this is actually something I heard over and over again when I talked to states. You know, they were saying CMS has really been engaging with us a lot on this issue and specifically the agency within CMS, which is the Center for Medicaid and CHIP Services. They've been, you know, really keyed in on this. Um, They've been having these routine calls uh, with states trying to see how they um, can support them. But 
but the hard part, what this all comes down to is states don't actually know when all this work is going to begin. So even though federal agencies are, are doing everything they can, you know, they've put out this list for states of here are all the strategies you should be approaching. They're helping states work through any uh, state-specific issues that may arise. But the problem at the end of the day is, is no one knows when this is going to happen. So right now, this provision is tied to the ongoing public health emergency, which again is set to end on April 15th, though it could be extended another 90 days. However, what a lot of states are asking Congress to do is actually set an end date and give them, you know, a fair amount of notice so they can take the time they need to plan and prepare, um, but to actually just set a date. And they say that having a date in hand would be super important because right now they're doing things like having people update their contacts and they're trying to do systems upgrades so that the right systems talk to each other once all of this begins. But they say that if they actually knew, okay, this process is going to begin on this date, there are a lot more preparations they can make that they can't do now, like hiring extra staff and staffing up these call centers and hiring additional eligibility workers. That work can't begin until there's a firm date in hand. And what does it mean to qualify for Medicaid? What are the cutoffs? In states that have expanded Medicaid coverage, if, if folks remember, this was part of the Affordable Care Act and not all states have opted in, into it. But in states that have expanded Medicaid coverage, um, you qualify based on your income. So if your household income is below 130 percent of the federal poverty level, you qualify. Now, it's worth noting that that's going to be a different number based on the size of your household because that, that poverty level is determined based on the size of your household. So, mm -hmm. for instance, for a family of four, uh, the poverty guideline is a little bit under $28,000. We're talking about folks who make really small amounts of money. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there are a lot of Americans that fall into that category, and this is why this is such a big issue. But one of the problems is there, because it is this very strict cutoff, you see a lot of people who, you know, they make just a little bit of extra money this month and they can be kicked off of Medicaid because their their income is just too high for them to qualify. And that's why we often see this churn on and off of state Medicaid rolls is the fact that, you know, you make a little bit of extra money and you're suddenly no longer for the program, whereas people for the last two years, you know, have been held onto this program. So one month your yeah. income goes up, you stay on Medicaid, it goes back down the next month and you qualify, you're still on Medicaid. And so you're not having to complete this process of applying for Medicaid again and again, you know, every time your your income no longer makes you eligible for the program. Interesting. And so like conceivably, there's a huge number of the population who maybe their income would only increase by a thousand or two thousand dollars, but they would no longer qualify anymore. Exactly. And a broader point is, and we've seen this more in blue states, but some states have, have in place provisions or look, are looking at putting in place provisions that provide for more continuous coverage on Medicaid, right? Some states have looked at this for children. Mm -hmm. So, you know, children will be held on Medicaid for 12 months um, to sort of have more of this continuity of coverage. But it, it, it's a big problem within the Medicaid um, programs in, in states generally. Where do you think things go from here? What are you going to be really watching for? Yeah, I'm going to be watching for a couple things. One is to see what Congress does. You know, does Congress um, set a date in which the Medicaid uh, continuous coverage provision will end? Mm -hmm. That's a big one. The other thing that I think states are looking to Congress for is to provide some additional funding while states go through the redetermination process. The way that it works, this extra federal funding that has been granted to states, that ends at the end of the quarter in which the public health emergency ends. Um, and so a lot of states are concerned that because that 
funding just cuts off on a very hard date, there's going to be more of an incentive for them to go through this process quickly. So they're asking the federal government to give them a little bit of extra funding Mm -hmm. that perhaps titrates down over time so they could unwind the process over a 12-month period. So that's the the big first thing is is what Congress does. Then the other one is what do states do, right? Um, As we look at, especially a lot of of blue states, you know, what actions are legislatures taking this year to prepare for this redetermination process? You know, are they allocating um, extra recovery dollars toward this program like Massachusetts is? Um, As we look at conservative states, are conservative states putting in place legislation that means that their state Medicaid programs will have to go through this process quickly? So there's a lot that can be done on the state side to prepare, but obviously states are also looking to Congress for for some additional legislative guidelines and then CMS as well for some some guidance on the technicalities of it. So I just want to go through a couple of possible outcomes with you. One outcome, it seems like the April deadline happens and 15 million people lose coverage. And another possible outcome is that they come up with a solution and it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So one thing I know a lot of states are preparing for this continuous coverage provision to end at at some point this year. You know, some states have said they're looking at April or May. Some are looking at June. Um, A lot of them, I think, are just trying to be prepared whenever this happens. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not as if, um, you know, should Congress set a particular date, it's it's not as if all these these problems will go away, right? Mm -hmm. Just having a date in hand means that states can prepare better, which means hopefully, you know, those 15 million people who are at risk of losing their Medicaid coverage, you know, states can have a plan in place and be prepared with the staff they need and call centers to help get those folks connected with the right form of insurance so they're not going uninsured and so they're not falling through the cracks. So having a date uh, from Congress doesn't necessarily fix all the problems, but states say it certainly would help with these preparations and help mitigate as many of the losses as possible. All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Annie Reese, and a big thank you to Megan Messerly from our healthcare team for joining me. Pulse Check's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our senior producer is Jenny Ahmed. Have a great week. See you next time.